Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our health care system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Health Care, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our health care system as it exists and as it could be. For better health care and a better health care system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare. I'm Dr. Steve Feldman, dermatologist and founder of the DrScore.com website. We have a great show today. We're going to be talking about healthcare reform. As you know, healthcare reform legislation is moving forward. There's a big effort to reform healthcare in the United States because our costs are just totally out of control. On top of that, there are millions of people who are uninsured and don't have good access to the great medical care that our system offers. On top of those who are uninsured, there are people who are just one job loss away from losing their health care insurance. Woe to those who have a pre-existing condition and need coverage for it. There's pretty much near uniform agreement that we need a change in our health care system. But what should that change be? There's a hot debate going on. On our last show, we spoke with Stanford health economist Victor Fuchs, who told us about his recommendations for health care reform. One of the key points he makes, one that is absolutely essential, is that we need to get incentives in line. If we don't have incentives in line, then we're not going to be able to control costs. We're not going to be able to have great medical care. Now, one thing that concerns me is that the current health care reform plan doesn't really focus on the basic incentives in our health care system. The problem we have today is that there's little to no incentive for people to seek out cost-effective medical care. When I first looked at the health care reform proposal that came out of the House of Representatives, I noticed that it tries to minimize the co-pays and co-insurance that people pay. Now, that disappointed me because I realized that if people don't have some skin in the game, they're not going to pay attention to cost. They're going to take, rightfully so, the highest cost medicines if they think it's going to give them a little bit better care. There needs to be some way to involve patients in managing costs. There is one other way to do it, and that's for the third-party payer or the government to control those costs. Now, I'm ambivalent about all this. I'd rather see patients in control, um, but almost anything is better than the system we currently have today. Because with the system we have today, no one is, a, is paying attention to that bottom line. With the health care reform that's proposed, even if we don't have patients looking out for cost-effective care, at least we'll have government regulating uh, or rationing that care. Now, that has its ups and downs. Our guest today hates the idea of government regulating and rationing care. In fact, I don't think it would be too much to say, um, to say that it repulses him. Um, 
I generally try to stay away from partisans in the healthcare debate, but I'm going to make an exception today. Today, we're going to hear from someone who believes in giving patients control over their healthcare destiny, somebody who believes that passionately. We're going to talk to someone who thinks that giving government control will mean the end of all the best things that our healthcare system currently offers. We're about to speak with Peter Ferrara. Peter is Director of Entitlement and Budget Policy at the Institute for Policy Innovation, a policy advisor to the Heartland Institute, and General Counsel of the American Civil Rights Union. That's not the American Civil Liberties Union. That's the American Civil Rights Union. Let's not get those confused. Peter served in the White House Office of Policy Development under President Reagan and as Associate Deputy Attorney General of the United States under the first President Bush. He's graduate of Harvard College and Harvard Law School. He's the author of the August 2009 article, The Obama Health Plan, Rationing Higher Taxes and Lower Quality Care. He's also the, art, uh, the author of an article in the March 3rd issue of American Spectator magazine. That article is entitled, Obamacare, Still a Threat to Your Health. Get ready. Peter is passionate about health care and spirited in his disdain for the current health care reform legislation. Peter, thank you so much for uh, joining me on the show today. Glad to be here. Um, you, you wrote in August of 2009 an article entitled The Obama Health Plan, Rationing, Higher Taxes, and Lower Quality Care. I want to encourage our listeners uh, to look this up on the Internet and, and read it. I think it's a, a very well-written piece. Thank you. Does it... Um, Fairly well describe your current thinking on um, on healthcare uh, reform in the United States. Yes. So the worst thing about the Obama healthcare takeover is it has a cruel uh, perversion at the root of it, where it seeks to uh, extend health coverage to everybody, but in the process it takes away health care. Now it doesn't ex- succeed in extending health coverage to everybody. The latest health care uh, bill is still scored as having leaving 24 million people. Uh, uninsured, but in the meantime, uh, the net effect of the bill was going to be to uh, decimate the underlying health care system. Uh, and it does that in several ways. I mean, first of all, the, the uh, bill creates uh, close to 100 new bureaucracies, commissions, panels, and programs with authority over health care. Uh, and that, that those uh, c- combined bureaucracies are going to have the collective uh, power decide who gets what health care and when, and worst of all, what health care is available, what health care you can have. Uh, And uh, so the process of health care rationing begins right there with the idea that a bureaucracy is going to be able, in Washington, is going to be able to determine what health care works and what doesn't. You'd think that that's what you hire your doctor for, is to determine what health care will work for you and what doesn't. But the government... And their Obamacare thinks that it's going to, its bureaucracy in Washington will know best. Well, let's uh, let's, start, let's hold off for one second. Um, I w- uh, attended a session at which our Republican senator, Senator Burr, was speaking, and he said that there is agreement on both sides of the aisle that there's a problem today with our health care system and it needs to be fixed. Would you agree with with him on, on that? Now, I'm not saying that Obama's approach is the right way to fix it, but do we agree there is a problem right now? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of things that can be done to improve uh, the health care system. And there are particularly uh, 
to reform the incentives of the system. But unfortunately, everything Obama is doing is the opposite of what needs to be done. So the um, the problem today is an incentive structure that doesn't make sense. A, a, a structure, I see it as a physician. I can offer the patient choices of different therapies, and one might be marginally better, arguably better than another. But even if it costs 100 times as much, the patient may choose it. Um, that, that's an incentive structure that, to me, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, that stems from what's known in economics as a third-party payment problem, where there's always a third party paying the bill, either an insurance company or the government uh, through any of its um, many programs. So the consumer has no incentive to control costs because someone else is paying the bill. And the doctor has no incentive to control costs because the consumer's picking the doctor and the consumer's not interested uh, in, in, in controlling costs. And that same is that for the entire healthcare system, hospitals, healthcare innovators, developers of new technology. The gains are not uh, as significant as they uh, should be uh, for developing uh, innovations that reduce costs or, or treatments or therapies that reduce costs. And so uh, the system really is structured. It doesn't do a very good job of maximizing quality. And uh, the, the cutting-edge healthcare uh, that's uh, coming online is amazing, actually. Uh, but there's no economic incentives to control costs because of this third-party payment problem. So it, it seems like then there's at least two options to solve this problem. One is to create a system that favors the kind of decision-making we have in every other area of the economy or have the third party do the rationing. And it seems like the current arguments are how to have that third party do the rationing, and you would take us in a completely different direction. Well, you're exactly right. That is where Obama is headed. Uh, he's going to control costs by having the third party, that being the government, do the health care rationing. Uh, and uh, you already see signs of this coming down the pike. There was this uh, government agency uh, which issued this opinion that women over 72 shouldn't have mammograms. Uh, that the controversy focused on uh, women in their 40s, which itself is a problem, but overlooked was that they said women over 72 shouldn't have mammograms anymore. Now, what are they saying by, by saying that? They're saying if you're over 72 and you have health care, we don't want to know about it. I mean, you, you have uh, breast cancer, I'm sorry. If you're over 72 and you have breast cancer, uh, we don't want to know about it. I think uh, what I, they were actually saying was that, that doing the screening does not add to life at that point, and that it really, even if you were an individual patient and an individual physician making that decision at that point, you're probably better off not having the test done. I think the same issue is coming up with prostate cancer today, saying that that this, the, the, the prostate cancer screening we're doing um, is only adding to people's morbidity. It's not adding to their to their health. I, I suspect there's probably very good examples of what you're trying to say, but I'm not sure that these two examples really fit the mold so much. Well, I mean, those, those that's the rationalization they give. But when they say we don't want any mammograms for people over women over 72, what they're saying is we don't want to be bothered providing can breast cancer treatment for women over 72. Take the painkiller and go home, as Barack Obama put it um, in his uh, in, a, in, a, in his uh, an earlier context in the, in the healthcare debate. And uh, uh, I consider that completely wrong. The idea that the government would decide who gets what health care and when, or the government would decide at a certain age we're going to cut you off and we're not going to spend the money for you, 
to me, is Nazi fascism, and there's no role for that in American life. Well, it seems as though we Americans have, to a large degree, abdicated our responsibility to make these health care decisions for ourselves. When we say, well, we want the health care, but we don't want to pay for it, then somebody else is going to make the decision for us unless we, we reclaim our responsibility uh, to make those health care decisions. On our show recently, we had um, health economist Victor Fuchs from Stanford, and, and I posed the same question to him. I said, well, wouldn't it be better if uh, people made their health care decisions like they did in the grocery store and decided, you know, what they're willing to pay for, what, what health care they want? And his answer was, no, people don't know enough about medicine to make a, a rational choice. Now, I suspect you would find that to be a, a, a very misplaced argument. Well, in my view, that's elitist authoritarianism. That's what you hire the doctor for, is to advise you uh, on those types of things. And so armed with your doctor's knowledge and your doctor's education and your doctor's advice, then you uh, can make the decisions. And the problem is that uh, the American people have not had the incentives uh, up until now uh, to, uh, to, to deal with these issues. So the key factor is to reform the system so that the American people will have these incentives. And then we call it patient power then the patient is empowered to make those decisions themselves with device of doctors, specialists, other medical professionals. And, and that's the way it should be. It should not be done by a third party deciding when you're going to live, when you're going to die, what health care treatment you're going to get and when. So people talk about the problem of the tremendous amount of money spent in the last year of life and money that's basically – wasted if it's you know spent on somebody who gets absolutely no quality of life for their last days in a very expensive hospital stay now if we let the third party um decide okay look we're not going to spend that money then it's horrendous rationing but what you're saying is we're going to let the family the patient and the family decide when not to spend that money is that right that's right you want to empower them with the incentives so that they can make uh those decisions. You see, the problem with, with uh, that kind of statistic is you really don't know what's the last year of life until the until last year over. of life is yeah. over. <laughs> and so uh, you don't want, you know, when your mother and your father are deathly ill, you don't want to make this crass material uh, decision that, well, actually, uh, I don't. we don't want to spend any money on mom and dad. Let's have them kick over, and then we'll take use the money for vacation to Europe next, next year. Uh, and the American people really generally don't share that morality. But it's up to, it should be up to the patient and their family, not up to, the, to a government bureaucracy. Yeah, I, I think that more than people realize, they actually do make those kinds of decisions on an everyday basis. I mean, when, we, when, when our 16-year-old was ready to drive, we put him in one of the safest cars money could buy. But a lot of people don't do that, and they're trading off money and, and, and health on a regular basis. Well, that's right. They, uh, you know, you do make a sort of similar decision when you're picking a car for uh, a son or daughter. Uh, you do have a similar trade-off. You're hoping that it never comes to that if you decide to go with the uh, less expensive car. But in my own case, uh, when my son became driving age, yeah, I got him a big, big SUV. <laughs> you get behind that wheel. You know, they can get in accidents that are not their fault either. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, you know, that was my judgment. Now, um, one of the things I find interesting 
is is the way people present Medicare in two completely different ways. Um, in in your piece, when you talk about how how the healthcare reform is going to ruin um, ruin healthcare for seniors, you talk about how good seniors have it now under Medicare, which is a government program. And then you go on to say, well, government programs and letting the bureaucrats decide is inherently bad. So it seemed like there might be a little bit of a dis- talking about Medicare as being bad when we want to talk about it, you know, the government doing bad. But we talk about Medicare as being good when we're trying to say, well, seniors aren't going to lose what they aren't going to want to lose what they have now. Um, what am I missing there? Well, you know, uh, Medicare traditionally is not involved in government rationing. Um, and uh, it doesn't have good incentives, and it is bankrupting the country. But traditionally, it has not had any of these government rationing mechanisms. But it's heading in that direction. And one of the ways the government rations, besides having bureaucracy that decides who gets health care when, is just by constricting the resources to the system and starving the system so that the doctors and hospitals are not getting paid so they don't provide the services. Medicare is headed in that direction very much. Another factor that affects uh, uh, your health care is the incentives for investors. Uh, you know, you're a doctor. You probably know about these, these high-tech medicines better than I do. But I was shocked to learn that they can put a pacemaker in your heart now, and they can monitor your heart online. And they're getting to the point where they can call you in the morning and say you're going to have a heart attack today, go to the hospital. Wow. And uh, at a, uh, at, you know, uh, a preacher at the church I attended recently, that's what happened to his father-in-law. They called him and said, you're going to have a heart attack. And, and on the way to the hospital, his heart, in fact, stopped five times. And the pacemaker was also equipped to automatically jolt his heart back into life. And so uh, his life was saved as a result. And he said, you know, we just enjoyed Christmas with him. And so um, this is, but that, that doesn't, like, fall from the sky, that kind of technology. That costs billions of dollars of capital investment. And who is going to make the investment in this life-saving technology or the new miracle, life, miracle, miracle cure life-saving drugs if they don't think they can count on the government to pay them for it uh, when they try to bring it to market? And so uh, we had this tremendous anti-technology bias throughout Obamacare, where they're trying to discourage the use of techno- uh, technologies, advanced technologies, the MRIs, the CAT scans, which are our whole new generation of medicine resulting. And there's a whole generation of additional medicines on the horizon with the human genome pro- project and the new understanding of genetics and, and what's involved uh, in human genetics, where they could tailor medicine directly to your own genetics in the future, but who's going to put invest the money for that if they can't count on the government to pay them? You know, this health care bill where Barack Obama says it's actually going to reduce the deficit, that is based on an assumption that on Medicare they're going to cut the payments to doctors and hospitals by 21%. Well, I mean, you cut that, what kind of chaos is that going to cause in the health care system? Yet he keeps going around touting, oh, it's going to actually reduce the deficit. That's actually going to cut payments to doctors. That's assuming they're cutting payments to doctors and hospitals by 21%. And when you constrict those payments, you're going to constrict the doctors and hospitals are going to constrict the services. Now, the seniors are not going to have the services available that they're used to. Sure. Um, you're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm Dr. Steve Fellman, and we're speaking today with Peter Ferrara. Peter is the author of a very, a very nice summary of um, an assessment of the Obama health plan. It's entitled... The Obama Health Plan, Rationing, Higher Taxes, and Lower Quality Care. One of the things I think that comes up in, in the discussion of, of health care is how good 
is our healthcare system today. In your piece, um, you make it sound like the U.S. healthcare system is better than the Canadian system. But other people would point out statistics that the Canadians live longer and have lower infant mortality. Um, is, is there a disconnect there? How, how should people interpret numbers like that? You know, that infant mortality number is actually one of the cruelest numbers uh, because America is the only place in the world where uh, these premature babies who are born very small, uh, uh, barely clinging to life, in fact, receive heroic treatment that allows them to grow up and actually live normal adult lives, when in almost every other country, they're just frankly trashed uh, uh, from the beginning of life. Now, the infant mortality is... Uh, primarily cause is a, is a lifestyle issue and, in part, a genetics issue. But if your mother's on drugs or your mother is an alcoholic uh, or your mother smokes heavily or these other things, uh, many of the social problems we have in America are reflected in uh, infant mortality and a low birth weight. And, uh, but America is the one place where we have this, uh, this heroic technology that is saving lives every day of premature babies who otherwise uh, would end up in the in the trash heap. So those studies, those statistics don't take that any of that into account. But if you look at the cancer survival rates in the most stark, where there's a dramatic advantage in the United States over any other country. We recently had a case where the uh, premier of Newfoundland uh, in Canada, basically the equivalent to the governor of a state, when his own health care was an issue, he came down to Miami to get his uh, heart uh, treatment, uh, and he said, uh, look, when I signed up for uh, to go into politics, I didn't sign away my right to give away you know, my, my choice of the, of the best health care possible. He said, it's my, it was my heart, my choice, it's my life. I didn't sign away my right to get the best health care possible. Where was the best health care possible? In the opinion of uh, this governor of Newfoundland and Canada, the best health care possible was in Miami, not uh, in Canada. So uh, that's where the uh, rubber meets the road when people are making these decisions involving their own lives, and that's one of the most powerful, most compelling statements as to the reality uh, of the healthcare system. So the quality of the system almost depends on how you define it. In the United States, we have the best medical technology being applied. So when you look at um, infant mortality for any given birth weight, you would find that our mortality is lower than Canada's. But because we have so many low birth weight babies to begin with, uh, we have an overall higher infant mortality. So if, if you define our healthcare system as, as the technology that's actually given to the kids in the hospital, hey, we're doing great. On the other hand, in America, we have the freedom and the culture that creates a lot of low birth weight babies and resulting higher mortality. And those people who would consider the the, the healthcare system uh, as a more global issue, perhaps even a more socialist issue, um, to throw in a word that, that would terrify you, um, you know, they would say our system is not good at, at, prevent, at preventing um, infant morbidity. Well, if you want to evaluate the healthcare system as a healthcare system, the actual healthcare is uh, tremendous. Uh, what the individual people do to get themselves in healthcare trouble. Uh, including not only the social problems I discussed before, but uh, the obesity, the uh, uh, eating habits, the exercise habits that uh, create these problems of diabetes. I mean, you have health care problems of affluence 
that were on the, the downside of that versus the health care problems of a nation in poverty, which are very different. But there are health care problems of affluence resulting from overeating, uh, resulting from excessive consumption of uh, fatty foods. That's, that's a great point because the Canadians don't weigh as much as us either. And so in, in some sense, while the medical care might not be as good, if, if we were maybe to apply some of the money we're spending on health care to encouraging appropriate lifestyle, maybe there would be some significant advance in life expectancy. Well, I mean, you could give people some incentives, and through things like health care savings accounts, you can uh, you can give them incentives to improve uh, their lives. Uh, I'm going to come to health savings accounts in a minute because that's really where the meat of this, this is. Um, we talked about how the current system, there's no incentives – uh, to, for cost containment, it, it, it creates a system that's totally out of control. We could have cost containment if we abdicate our responsibilities to the government, let the third-party payers decide for us and ration our care. And, in fact, Medicare is doing that. I mean, uh, you point out that Medicare is already paying doctors less than they pay, less than private insurers pay on average. And so some rationing is already being done, and maybe some of that rationing is okay. If we... If we put the onus on, on, on the public themselves to um, make more rational decision-making, in essence, we're saying, okay, we're going to have rationing, but you get to ration it yourself. You get to make the decisions. Well, that's right. I mean, uh, the, uh, the, the person themselves makes the decision as to what to buy and to sell and, uh, you know, and what, uh, what health care they should get and how much they want to spend on it, how much – they uh, decide, I'm in my last year of life, and I don't want to uh, eat at my, my children's inheritance on futile, futile very expensive uh, medical care. And maybe they're in a position to make, that, uh, uh, to make that decision for themselves, and that's where it should be made. I don't respect any other third party making a decision as to who's going to live and who's going to die and what health care you can get and what health care you can't. We should be trying to do everything we can to maximize the most robust, most, robust, most advanced, most uh, technologically accelerated, scientifically advanced healthcare system in the world, so that this will be available to the American people. That's part of our high standard of living. But what's going on now in Washington is driving us to the low, low standard of living uh, adopt, uh, suffered by countries in the last century when they turned to uh, more socialized medicine. This is why we never accepted it in America, because our standard of living is higher and we don't need socialized medicine, and we want to be free to devote more resources to having the best, the best health care system available to us in the world. And sometimes uh, we may rely more. Now, we may say, well, you know, I, I know I'm going to rely on the health care system to save me, so I want to have to exercise, uh, or I'm going to enjoy my pastry and uh, I'll take care of this uh, later with a pill. But that's, that's got to be the decision of each person. And they need to have the incentives to take account of, to account the cost so that they can make that decision. Peter, you say that um, one of the savings that Obama's proposing in Medicare is right off the top, a 20% pay cut to the physicians. You know, I have the general sense that if we put the decisions in the patient's hands, if, if the money is coming out of their pocket and they're going to start calling around from doctor to doctor, finding out what what the doctor charges before they, they they go to the office and plunk their money down, it's going to bring those visit costs down more than 20%. I think there's going to be dramatic savings from something like that. Is that true? I think that, I think that, there, that, that, that is true because, you see, uh, 
uh, because then the doctors and hospitals will have an incentive to lower costs because now the patients are worried about costs. So then they'll think of ways to show, hey, I can provide you uh, good health care for less than someone else. Uh, I can do as good a job for less. And that suddenly will become a mantra that will lead to uh, sharp reductions in uh, unnecessary costs. That's the way to ferret it out. Government bureaucracy is not a way to run a business. You need to have decentralized incentives so people can apply the information they have day-to-day at their immediate level. That's the beauty of the marketplace is, you, is you know, you, don't, you can't have a brain in Washington that knows everything about the economy. That is, this information, is the necessary information, is in the minds of millions and millions of individual citizens. And the only way to bring that information to the market is to give them the incentives to bring it to market. And so this is what's wrong with Barack Obama's conception of health care. He seems to think the government can do it all. The government can decide what's waste and what's good health care and what's not. And the government can't do that. And the government, even if it could, would abuse that because they do not have the incentive that's necessary to really serve, serve people. And so this is why you've got to transform it into a market-based system. I love the idea of a market-based system. In Business Week, March 15, uh, 2010, there was a beautiful article written by Amanda Bennett discussing the death of her husband and his medical care and, and, the, and the prices and the costs of, of care. And, and she describes a, a $3,000 chest CT that the hospital charged and how her insurers, one of them, you know, paid $2,500, and then they changed insurance, and the next insurer paid like $600 for the same test. I, I just imagine that when we're paying for health care the way we pay for goods in a grocery store, um, that, that, that that test is going to be $600 or less probably, and the quality is going to be higher because uh, people are going to be paying more attention to it. Um, that they'll be able to get that test in the middle of the night to, to keep the machine running because there will be an economic incentive uh, to run the machine more efficiently. Those are all the, the positive things of what you're saying, are they not? Yes, that's true. That, that's how the market works everywhere else. That's how we got the high standard of living we have in America and the prosperity we, you see across the board. And you see the rapid development. Uh, uh, you know, my whole business is based on uh, cell phones and the Internet. Twenty years ago, we didn't even have the cell phones and the Internet. Uh, and so uh, uh, you see how the incentives can lead to this tremendous innovation, this tremendous rapid development of new technology and service uh, that advances uh, the, the prosperity of the American people across the board. And health care should be part of that rather no, than that. No doubt. What do you say to people who say that, you know, medical care is a little different from the other goods in our society? We accept as a, as a nation that that Bill Gates is going to live in a nicer house maybe than some other people, uh, that, that, that our level of housing, okay, it doesn't have to be everybody living in a gray box like you would in a communist society. Um, we accept that some people are going to go to the grocery store or maybe go out to dinner and order lobster, and other people are going to go to the grocery store and make macaroni and cheese. Um, but that for health care, we consider it a basic right that everybody should be entitled to the best possible health care. Is that a, a reasonable a goal for our society, or is that something that's not achievable? Well, I mean, not all health care is a matter of life and death. That's why you can have the incentives uh, can make a difference. And why with health savings accounts, you have this structure where uh, when, the, when it becomes catastrophic illness, when it becomes uh, uh, illness that requires high costs, then the insurance kicks in. 
because uh, I, I don't want anyone to uh, die for lack of health care. I don't want people to say, I can't afford it, so, you know, I can't have the health care treatment. But most health care, in fact, is not of that, that variety. But, but, most but healthcare hold on, what's less than 5000 a but, year. So. But, Peter, you do want them to have an incentive at the end of life to say, okay, um, we could pursue this. Chances one in a hundred she'll live another month. Uh, we're not going to do it. You want people to say, I'm not going to do it at that point, don't you? We don't want well, government want to, to say it for us. You want, yes, you want them to have the incentive. And with the health savings account, they would accumulate a lifetime of, of funding. And uh, they could easily chew all that up uh, in the last 30 days, not make any difference. Or, you know, you could leave potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars to your family uh, 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 in a period of time where your quality of life is not going to be all that great, and uh, and uh, maybe you decide you don't want to spend the money. So, so we are going to, in the ideal, you know, I don't think there is an ideal world for, for funding health, but in, in a in a world where we let the market really work, what we're going to be saying is, okay, Bill Gates may not care what it costs for his mom. And he'll spend whatever takes the the most money possible to get the maximum life for his mom, even though that may not be a rational thing to do. But for for other people, they're going to decide. You know what? It's it's not worth the money. Let's let's put the money to good use somewhere else. Well, you know, you might have circumstances where uh, you know there's not going to be a recovery when the patient is suffering anyway. Yeah. Uh, and you decide, do I want to spend uh, this entire lifetime of savings? Uh, for 30 days of, of painful suffering, uh, which is going to result in, in death after that time anyway. And the patient, the family should make that decision. They do not want a third party to make that decision. But yes, to have the incentives with something like health savings accounts uh, to make to make that decision. So, you know, I, I totally agree with you that a market-based solution is the way to go. I'm totally supportive of it. But I guess one of the eth- ethical issues I face, for example, with this end-of-life decision is is that the kind of society we want where people make a financial decision themselves about grandma dying? Or would it be better if society said as a whole, look, we're going to make the decision, one uniform decision across the entire population for this so that it's fairer in a way? Well, you know, I don't think it's fair to have a third party decide. I don't think that the government should be involved in who lives and who dies. To me, that's a fascist consideration that the government should not be involved in. You've got to make that decision yourself. You know, no society has uh, carte blanche, uh, unlimited paycheck. Uh, and in these other countries, the government is making the decision for you. And the government may be making the decision, they may tell you it's based on fairness, but it may be based on what they can buy the most votes with. And they may decide, well, you know, I, if I take away all the money we're spending on heroic health, uh, heart treatment and heroic cancer treatment, I could buy a lot more votes spending that money somewhere else. So we're not going to have the health care system that can provide those treatments. And many people have their lives extended for, for many years uh, through those kinds of uh, treatments. And I think that that kind of uh, social pressure system is wrong. Um, Peter, I, I've taken up most of your time. I, I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I don't know if you have any specific comments for listeners um, about getting better health care, what they should do with respect to health care reform, uh, or if you want to describe just briefly in detail how the health savings account plus catastrophic care system uh, would work um, for folks and that would give them incentives and yet still 
um, give them the opportunity to choose high-cost care when they needed it? Well, with a health health savings account, instead of all the money going to the health insurance company and the health insurance company paying for everything over a small deductible or with a small uh, co-payment, only a part of your money goes to the insurance company, and they pay for all costs above a high deductible. About five to six thousand dollars a year, for example, or even more. In my case, I have a seventy-five hundred dollars deductible. Now, when you buy health insurance with a seventy-five hundred dollars deductible, it's a lot less expensive than one with a two hundred fifty dollars deductible. And you take that savings and you put it in a savings health savings account to pay for expenses below the deductible. So now you have money to pay for expenses below the deductible, and also you're in control of that money. So you decide if you want to pay for alternative medicine. If you want to pay for, you know, vitamin therapy, whatever you want to pay for that you think works for you, or preventive medicine, you have the money there in the health savings account to pay for it. But if you don't waste it unnecessarily, it's yours and you can keep it. So now you have incentives, and you have health care. And if you get something that that's very that is very costly and serious, like cancer or like heart disease, then you're backed up by that with the insurance. So it's a good system that really addresses the fundamental issue at stake. And uh, and that's, that's the direction we can go. And it both gives you incentives. It also gives you patient power and control over your own health care. Now, you know, ideally, apart from that, I don't want a system where insurance companies have any power to tell you what health care you can have and what health care you can't. Uh, I myself am not, uh, I'm not in favor of HMO treatment. I, mean, I wouldn't make it illegal, but if you want to buy coverage from an HMO, that's the opposite of the health savings account. That's where you're telling the insurance company, all right, you make the decisions as to what health care I should receive. In return, it costs me less for the insurance, but I'm, I'm handing it over to you and your expert care. And people should be free to make that decision if they want, but that's not the model that I prefer. And people should be free also to make a decision to say, I want health insurance where I make the decision. We send them the bill from a credible doctor. Uh, then uh, their job is to pay the bill and not tell me what health care I can have and what health care I can. And so it's, it's this patient power, patient freedom of control, the health savings accounts serve that. The incentives make that possible, and that's the direction we we want the healthcare system to go. Peter, we could go on because you're just a, a beautiful resource of a very crystal clear way of looking at these issues. I, I want to encourage readers um, to 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 pull up a quick Google search. Ought to be able to find your work, the Obama health the, the Obama health plan. Rationing, higher taxes, and lower quality care. Thank you so much for your time with me today. I greatly appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me on the show. Also, I have a weekly column every Wednesday at spectator.org. Two weeks ago, I just had a piece, Obamacare is still a threat to your life. And it goes through uh, the more recent developments and explains why. What I'm most concerned about, that they will trash the ability of the healthcare system to provide you the best healthcare in the world when you need it. So you can find more material there. Great. Peter, thanks again. Thank you for having me. Well, I have to say I warned you listeners, uh, Peter Ferrara doesn't mince his words. The idea of using words like takeover, perversion, obscene to describe the current health care reform, I think, goes beyond what's really reasonable. I think health care reform has become just too wrapped up in partisan politics. How people view health care reform, like they view anything, depends on their perspective And viewing it through a partisan lens, I don't think is helpful to understanding the real issues in healthcare reform. Getting past our biases is always tough, and hopefully I'm seeing past mine. There's some things I clearly agree with um, Peter about. 
patient incentives, I believe, are the best best way to get healthcare um, in line, to bring down the cost, to make it affordable for everybody. I won't claim that the current healthcare reform plan um, is perfect. Um, I'm kind of ambivalent about it. It, it doesn't do what, what I think needs to be done most, which is to put patients in charge of their health care. But on the other hand, it may be a step forward com- uh, over our current system where nobody is in charge of controlling the costs. Peter will tell you that the current health care reform is rationing, um, but we need rationing right now. And if people themselves aren't going to do the rationing, then it's probably not a bad idea for government to be doing it for us. Um, as bad as that is, um, somebody somebody has to do it. Now, last week, um, we talked to Victor Fuchs, Stanford health economist, and he basically said that the medical consumer, the general public, just, just isn't smart enough uh, to make medical shopping decisions ourselves. Um, he said that Many times even doctors don't have the information they need to make smart healthcare decisions. He would put many of these decisions in the hands of educated bureaucrats and regulators. Um, he would allow people to choose among health insurance plans, and so they would still be involved in their choices, but they wouldn't have direct control. Peter, on the other hand, thinks that putting bureaucrats, regulators in charge of our healthcare decisions isn't just crazy, it's, it's, it's horrifying. He thinks you should be in charge and that given political economy, the, the realities of the world, putting regulators in charge is a really bad idea. And you could see where his, his thoughts on this are coming if we just consider the grocery store example. You know, if we decided that, gee, People deserve better food and deserve access to the best food. So our employers are going are, are gonna to insure us, are going to pay for our costs of our groceries. All hell would break loose. The prices would go up. Sure, there would be innovations uh, with fancy new foods for us all to eat, um, things that we don't necessarily need, things that are probably only marginally beneficial over what we have now. Um, but for those people who were unemployed, grocery stores would quickly become unaffordable. If you lost your job, you'd quickly be you know, unable to, to buy food in the grocery store, and we'd have the kind of problem with grocery store that we see with healthcare today. I think what Peter's afraid of is this Orwellian government-controlled grocery store. If, you know, seeing those kinds of problems that would happen if insurance were paying for our groceries, if the government stepped in and said, hey, we'll control this. Well, they would decide what we would eat, and they could decide it would just be potatoes. Um, I'm not worried that that's what would happen um, with our health care system, but I think the, the best way of controlling costs and giving people the choice is, like Peter suggests, to give people the health care dollar and let them control it. Put it in a health savings account, and they can choose. But even though that's my preference, um, I'm not particularly scared. I'm not terrified like Peter is of, of the idea of a single-payer system or, or even Medicare for everyone. I mean, I, I don't think such a system is perfect, but 
I think it's clearly better than what we have now. Now, Peter says such a plan would just be horrible. But, you know, if you look at what he writes, um, he says that that the seniors have the most to fear from Obama plan, uh, the Obama plan, because they've got it pretty good under Medicare right now. And if we went to Obamacare, they would lose it. Well, Medicare is government controlled um, medicine. It is socialized medicine and it's doing a great job. Um, you look at the VA medical system. That's people, people tout that as being one of the, the best quality run systems you can, you can put together uh, a leader in, in American quality uh, in, in some ways in, the, in quality of a healthcare system. And yet it's government run. Um, I think Peter's concerns about mammography, um, the mammography recommendations are simply hogwash. Um, those recommendations, as we discussed on an earlier program, uh, were created by an independent entity of, of doctors, really top top folks who were evaluating the data objectively and making rational recommendations. Now, when they make those recommendations, it may be that the government would follow them. It may not be. But those recommendations would be good advice for individuals, too, because if it's not cost-effective for society as a whole, it might not be cost-effective for an individual. If You know, we all think, oh, I want to be tested. I want to be tested. But if the doctors tell us, listen, you be tested if you want, but that test is going to cost money, and there's a chance you're going to have false positives and additional surgeries that are going to cost more money and, and, and could leave you scarred or, or, or worse. Um, this, this is true for prostate cancer evaluations. People wonder how much impotence is being caused by, you know, t- by treatments that aren't going to change um, whether people live or die or not in any meaningful way. So whether those guidelines apply to a system or whether they apply to an individual, those recommendations from the independent panel are probably helpful information. Um, whether you think about it in terms of a socialized system or you think about it in terms of a patient-controlled system that Peter is advocating for. So look, here's what I think the bottom line is. I think Peter's right. If we put the government in charge, the government's going to regulate, it's going to ration, it will decide for everyone in our society what care we will get. And it's going to need to if it's going to keep the, the price of medicine down. Government would lower payments to doctors. They would lower payments to hospitals and to drug companies. On the other hand, would that destroy medical care in the United States? I don't think so. I think we're still going to have very good care um, if we went to such a system. Peter thinks it would be better to have a system where we as individuals get to decide what kind of care we want. And I agree with him. I think that's a better system, but we shouldn't kid ourselves. If we were in charge of our health care dollars, we'd be more careful with it. We'd, we'd spend less money on doctors. We'd pay hospitals less. And, 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 and what drug companies could charge us would drop. We'd pass up on some of those life-prolonged interventions that are really expensive that don't prolong life for very long. Who knows? We might even be tighter with our health care dollar than the government would be on our behalf. But the key things about giving us control as individuals that I really like, that I think is really helpful to our health care system, is that we as individuals would have incentives to seek out cost-effective care. That's not something we're doing now, and I think it's likely to control costs better than fiats from government regulators. Well, we'll see where this goes. Don't get depressed. 
I think people on both sides of this issue are good folks, and I think our system will improve. You can help improve the system. You can start by giving your doctor feedback at doctorscore.com. I hope you'll join us again on Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I hope you enjoyed our theme music by the uncompromising Michael Zioli. Next week, we'll go to a topic that's very different. We'll be discussing alternative medicine with expert Kathy Kemper. Don't miss it. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com, DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare.